coffee culture is brewed for connection. Under the guise of coffee, we've been meeting in cafes for centuries. Today is no different. Coffee Culture, the podcast, explores the meetup. If you are a coffee enthusiast, maybe seeking modern love on a coffee date or want some health hacks, we'll dig into that too. I'm Holly Shannon. Come wrap your hands around a hot cup of connection with me on Coffee Culture. Hello, Coffee Culture family. I'm very excited as I'm rounding off season five that I got the Coco Nelson here with me today. Hello, Coco. How are you? Hello. I'm doing wonderful. So happy to be here. And I have dropped her name a couple of times in some other interviews that I've had because she is actually my therapist and she is uh, helping me on a number of uh, interesting journeys I'm going through. Um, and so she's here to help you today. We have some deep conversations around connection, which is what the mm -hmm. show is about. But let me do a proper introduction so that you can all hear how amazing she is. So Coco Nelson is a trauma therapist and somatic healer. She's the founder of the Evolved Therapist and the movement into transformational therapeutic experiences. Coco is passionate about changing the process of healing and being the other option. Disrupting the traditional therapy model and redesigning the healing process with more emphasis on in-person experiential transformation and modalities that use the body to heal the mind. Coco is doing some very interesting things. If you follow her podcast, Let the Rest Burn, she walks you through a lot of archetypes um, that have been talked about uh, in the past by, um, I think it was uh, Coco, correct me, uh, Carolyn. Carolyn Miss and then Carl uh, Young. Carl Young. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting process with a lot of history and and background. So um, she has evolved, but at the same time, she's sharing some historical references that help us all heal properly and and understand our archetypes and our shadow archetypes and all that. <laughs> so um, Coco, have I left anything out here? Besides, I mean, you do a lot of retreats um, as well. Is there anything mm -hmm. you'd like to share with with everybody that I haven't said about your marvelousnessness? I mean, that was a wonderful introduction. Uh, I would say that, you know, as I'm evolving um, from traditional, the traditional therapeutic model, which is what I did for 15 years, I really want to make therapy and healing accessible and affordable and work for everyone, right? Everybody has a different way, a different path of finding growth and healing. And so I think when it is so rigidly, uh, focused on talk therapy or, or on one particular modality is this is the way that you get better. I think it restricts a lot of people from getting help and resources. So I'm really passionate about doing master classes and doing workshops and putting things out there for free and or, or low cost for those all around the world who just really need some of these tools and resources. Uh, I'm really big into community for that reason. So that's part of the reason why I show up on socials, part of the reason why I do my podcast. Um, I really do just want people to have this information. And then on a more like deeper um, intrinsic level, when I'm working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, I'm really passionate about using the body to heal the mind. Mindset work is, is incredible, but it just doesn't take you all the way home. 
and being able to clear out your nervous system and be able to integrate what you know into your body can feel like everything you've learned over all of these decades of your life finally lands. And that is what I'm really passionate about is helping people actually feel different, not just think different. And you do a modality called EMDR therapy. Yes. Do you want to share what that's about a little bit? Because I yeah. think that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a few different ones and I'll, I'll, let, I'll kind of go through the letters and let you know what they are. Uh, so EMDR is um, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. It was uh, developed by Francine Shapiro, who is a Canadian and she uh, has a really cool story. If you want to look it up on how she discovered EMDR, it's, it's kind of fascinating, but um, it is one of the top therapeutic treatment modalities in the world for trauma. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't have trauma, so I don't need EMDR. Well, we all have trauma in the way that those of us in the field are defining it, which is our body's response to a perceived threat, which every one of us have, has experienced. So what happens is it kind of like updates your nervous system instead of running off of this past model that's being triggered by things that are no longer a threat to your survival it updates you into the present moment so you can actually adapt to the current situation in your life and assess for a valid threat or not so this is as simple as you know um you know maybe an experience you had in sixth grade or fifth grade kind of informing the present moment and making you react in a way that doesn't necessarily match what's happening in front of you so emdr very scientifically it uses bi bilateral stimulation. So that can be eye movements, looking back and forth, auditory sounds back and forth in your ears, or tactile, where you hold these buzzies and they buzz back and forth. And through targeting specific memories or experiences in your body, you're able to bring it up into the frontal cortex part of your brain, the thinking part of your brain, release the sensation, the feeling part of the memory, and store the information. So now you can remember it or recall it without the associated feeling taking over your body when that happens. It's extremely effective and efficient, um, especially for phobias or single event traumas. You can feel relief pretty immediately for those of us, all of us who have <laughs> layered experiences. We're so layered. We're so layered. It takes more time, but it, it's like taking one layer off at a time, right? And you just get deeper and deeper into this and you feel more and more anchored and grounded. And it's extremely, extremely powerful uh, intervention. I combine that with containment and resolution therapy, which is um, kind of an offset from that, similar to somatic experiencing, if any of you have heard of that by Peter Levine. But in EMDR, they're very specific about using a targeted memory, and it, they struggle to use any memory that, that you have disassociation around. With containment and resolution, we can actually go through the body, not necessarily the memory itself, to clear out the uh, trigger. And so that is what makes me a little different as I combine those two together, which creates a little bit more comprehensive approach. I'm also getting certified in somatic release breath work, which I use on my retreats, I use in my in-person sessions, and I'm hoping to also eventually use in my online sessions because I find that to be extremely powerful and something you can learn and do on your own and can utilize throughout the rest of your life. So I want everyone to have that information for sure. I love this on so many levels. Um, I was introduced 
to EMDR by Coco um, and having done some research myself and understanding it was used in the military for PTSD. Mm-hmm. So for anybody listening, it's not like we're just getting all woo-woo on you. This mm-hmm. is actual scientific um, modalities and yes. there's proof in the pudding. Yes, <clears throat> as they it's say. Empiric- empirically based studies. Thank yes. you. She yes. said it so much better than me. <laughs> Um, so what I'd like to do next, actually, now that we have yeah. a sense of, uh, Coco and what she can do, um, I, I want to dig into the connection side of the world, um, because that's kind of what my show is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I often talk about is that we have this innate need for connection and, and very often we'll use like the coffee meetup as an excuse to get together and help a friend out. Um, or, you know, people will use it for business, you know, like the coffee networking event, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. At the end of the day, we are all seeking connection. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to help us explain, um, on a, you know, more of a, uh, the level of, you know, almost tribal, like Mm -hmm. how internally, we, this is real. That is also mm-hmm. scientific, our need for it and creating it, whether it's um, through tribes or the um, the mommy and me group or your church uh, or book club, that type of thing. So maybe you can share with us what's happening to us internally and, and why we seek that. Um, and then I'd also like to understand um the importance of that as we head into post-pandemic and looking for quality connection. And I have other questions, and I know that's a loaded one, but I think you probably see the, you know, the both sides of that. So I'm going to let you fly. Go, Coco. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the need for connection. So I'm going to, I'm going to deepen it and I'm going to use the word uh, belonging. Right. And Brene Brown is so good about distinguishing between the difference between fitting in and belonging. Right. Fitting in is us wanting to adapt our self-expression to fit within the confines of a group, a tribe, a community. Belonging is being seen in our true expression of self and being loved within it. Right. So we seek belonging. We do not seek to fit in. We seek belonging. If we can't get belonging, we will seek to fit in because we need connection. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is this goes back to us being primates. Right. As primates, we cannot survive on our own. We if we're isolated, we will die. That is that is basically not only like historical fact, but in reality, if you isolate a human being, they more often than not will not uh, be very healthy and, and could perish, especially as babies. So this is so biological. It's the most basic need. It's the thing we come into the world wanting from the moment we take our first breath. And it never goes away. And what happens is I think we get confused sometimes. So I'm going to talk about the two different parts of our brain. There's many parts of our brain, but I'm just going to talk about two. So we've got our frontal cortex, our higher consciousness, the part of our our thinking brain, if you will. Then you have your hindbrain, which is um, your reptilian brain or your more survival kind of nervous system space. That part of your brain is primed for survival. It doesn't really care about your thoughts as much. It's like, nope, we're going we're gonna to survive this no matter what. And this is where connection is, kind, is, is born from, right? We desire connection from this place because it's best for our survival. But our frontal cortex has a lot to say about that when people hurt us 
violate our boundaries, um, don't show up the way we want them to show up. And so this is this is where connection is so powerful, but it also can create some inner conflict for us, right? So there's a lot of those pieces. And then I would say also on top of that, let's see, so the post-pandemic question. So what is really interesting about what happened in the pandemic is that our fear and our understanding of wanting to stay safe and healthy and, and be respectful of other people put us at odds with a very basic and, and extremely powerful human need to connect. So it, it's almost as if our desire for connection became a threat to our survival. And then we had major inner conflict. Oh, that's I, so well said already. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. And we saw that conflict on the outside as well, like all of us freaked out at each other. Um, but also it's just, we, to tell me, uh, here, I'll, I'll give you a, a story, uh, just a quick one. I had a good friend at the very beginning of the pandemic who was nursing her baby and had two other young children and she got COVID from her mother and her kids did not have it. And her pediatrician told her to stop nursing her baby and to isolate herself for two weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. Goes against literally every instinct you could possibly imagine as a mother. Mm -hmm. Literally every instinct. Now, obviously that advice, unfortunately, was bad advice. Mm -hmm. um, as they discovered more about COVID, uh, it, the baby probably would have been fine given, you know, the health and the age and the things that were happening. Mm -hmm. But she didn't, you know, she's going to follow the advice and the doctor did the best they could given the information they had at the time, right? Like it's not like um, he had any ill will towards her. He was just trying to make sure her baby was safe, understandably so. But it was so brutal, that experience, that that experience of longing for connection, but knowing that connection could harm the people you love the most like you want to talk about trauma, mm -hmm. right? That well, and also because like you were saying, you know, children will not survive yeah. without connection and, yes. you know, the village type of thing. So without having the mother to bond and nurse, I mean, there's a lot of women who can't nurse mm -hmm. um, and they try. And even that is traumatic because they feel like they've failed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so much that goes into uh, bonding with your children and wanting to, to physically be around them and touch them on a regular basis. Now, she isolated within the home, so her their little fingers could go under the door. Oh my God, that's so them. cute. Yes, and but she could also hear them and hear her husband losing his mind <laughs> for two <laughs> weeks straight. I was kind of like, this is awful, and I'm so sorry you're going through this, and so interesting. <laughs> like, I wonder how he's doing. Can you check the cameras? Um, <laughs> So all in all, like that experience was extremely traumatic for her, extremely traumatic for the kids. And it, it, it is a very specific example of a bigger experience we all had. We couldn't be around the people we love the most because if we went to our parents, our, our elder, elderly parents, our sick, our dying, our, our young babies, and we were sick or we had been exposed, we could kill them. And we are going to see the effects of this for a very long time because it is so inherent to our human existence to want to connect and belong. And we also don't want to harm the people that we love. So this inner conflict is gonna create a lot of um, issues, but also a, a need for healing on a human level over the next like three to five years. 
That's really uh, amazing. And to understand sort of the primal side of that um, and how even in today's world with a pandemic, it's it's the same thing. Um, I You had talked about uh, fitting in versus belonging. And, you know, that was kind of my second question, but I think what I'd like to do is jump to another idea, another uh, conversation. And, and I think it's very relatable and it'll probably bring us back into the conversation about fitting in and belonging. So I wanted to talk about why we shouldn't be keeping up with the Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) And that um, in trying to fit in, now that I know uh, more definitively about the explanation between fitting in and belonging, and that trying to fit in to be a part of a community of people because Mm -hmm. we want connection Mm -hmm. Um, and we want that life because everybody Mm -hmm. says to surround yourself with the people you want to, you know, be like and grow with and and so forth. Why that is so toxic um, because it's not really connection. It's almost like connection in emperor's clothes or whatever the old tale was. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit. And I know it's a little disparate, some of the conversations we're having, but I feel Mm -hmm. like um, connection shows its face or, you know, in a few different ways. So, um, I'd like to tap into that a little bit. So why yeah. should we not keep up with the Kardashians? Because the Kardashians can't keep up with the Kardashians. <laughs> let's just be, let's, answer. let's be clear. None of them actually do what they're showing on social media. They let's they, drop that mic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's all altered. It's not real. None of it's real. And, and they've admitted that multiple times, right? Like, the way that they look, the way that they pose, the life that they live, the things that they put out there, it's all carefully curated by producers and and by a multi- team of people, right? And and graphic artists and you hang out with them for, you know, a couple of weeks, you're going to see what life is really like and it's very busy and it's very chaotic and um, there's a lot of mental illness that happens because they are growing up in an environment where they literally have no privacy and they're evaluated based on everything they do. Um, it would be a, it's a really terrible and hard way to live. Talk to any famous person, right? It's really difficult to be famous, actually. Um, their life is not their own. So that just in general, like who they actually are, none of us, none of us want to be in, in all rea- reality. But what we're craving is power, right? We're craving power and influence. Um, on top of belonging, we also want to have self-expression and self-expression is a form of power. So there's there's a component of this where we all want to be seen. We want to have influence. We want to, you know, allow for, I think this feeling of um, meaning and purpose in what we do and what we say and how we are regarded in our communities. And so when you see somebody with money, with prestige, with material possessions, but also, you know, with a platform, we crave that type of influence and that type of power to a degree, to a degree. Not everybody craves that level of it, but we crave that level of access to the things that we desire and resources that we want. So oftentimes 
like with many leaders, like with many people in throughout all of history, people emulate, role model themselves off of, and try and copy those that are in power, because that is what we internally desire. It is only when you do your own inner work that you recognize what true power is. And ultimately, the people who do influence are not always the ones who are the loudest or the ones that have the biggest mic. Sometimes they're the ones behind the scenes whispering in that ear. Right. So it's it's this discovery, I think, of our youth understanding what real power is. Once they understand what real power is, then social media loses its pull. And I think what we haven't attuned for, and I'm just going to get a little neuro- neurobiological with you here, is the effect of comparison on our brain. So we, again, when we're looking at our primate status, when we're looking at our brain's ability to survive, it's constantly comparing in order to make better decision-making. And that's our reptilian brain, right? It's not our frontal cortex. We're not comparing because we are jealous and we want those sexy pants the Kardashians have, you know? (laughs) We are comparing because that is a natural primal thing for us to do in order to survive. And so what you expose your brain to will activate comparison, whether you like it or not, because it's a hindbrained subconscious experience. You can't control it. So we, our frontal cortex, has to filter what we're constantly seeing so we're not always comparing. We are not, we, since we have been exposed to social media and the global reach of the internet, our frontal cortex hasn't necessarily upgraded its defense systems in understanding that the more that we look at people who have more, who have more power, have more money, have more love, have more of the things that we desire, the more we're going to compare and the more we're going to feel awful about ourselves. The more that we look at experiences of people who have less, the more we're going to feel better about our situation and the more we're going to feel guilty about our situation. So really what you want to expose yourself to is people that are just below or just above you. And this is actually motivational. This is inspirational. This is the stuff that gets us excited about life. And so filtering your social media, taking breaks from this, watching what you're looking at on the computer or the TV, it actually has a real, real neurobiological effect on your ability to grow. Because if you think it's too impossible for you to get here, you get stagnant and you give up. If you feel like you're so far above everybody else and that you should just be grateful, you're going to get stagnant and stop. So you have to be very careful about who you want to connect with, who you want to compare yourself with, because it's a natural subconscious thing that you can't control. Everyone's like, stop comparing. Can't do it. Never will stop. (laughs) It's natural part of your brain. So you might as well work with it rather than against it. Hey, coffee lovers, I have two quick announcements. I am opening a YouTube channel at Holly Shannon, and I'm going to have all of coffee culture on there. So you can capture the little shorts for five minutes here and there, or you can capture the full length interviews. Also, my book Zero to Podcast is on Amazon and it's on my website. And it is the how to guide to start your podcast really fast and get your voice and ideas on iTunes and Spotify like I did makes a great holiday gift for you, perhaps a graduation present, or maybe it's your New Year's resolution. Both links are in the show notes. And now back to our show, Coffee Culture. 
I love this because, you know, we are made to feel guilty and um, for comparing, like um, you're envious, you're jealous, you're comparing and envy and jealousy are ugly traits um, and people don't want to consider themselves ugly. So they don't admit that they're comparing, right? Um, what I find interesting in your analogy is, you know, finding that subset on the internet that is just above or just below to keep you motivated and not to keep you in a constant state of comparison. Um, I'm going to be honest, that's all fine and nice. But when you start doom scrolling, you, you lose your um, autonomy and your agency around that. And um, the comparing in your hindbrain gets mm -hmm. good and, you know, pissed off and sad and you lose your sense of empathy. You're right, right back down the, the jealousy train kind of thing. Um, I, f I feel as though um, that's where fitting in uh, takes a front seat in the frontal cortex and is hard for uh, people to step away from, even people who know in the moment that they're trying to fit in now. Oh, I, I got to have that Birkin bag. I don't have $10,000, but damn, that, you know, look makes her look so powerful and it's in her posts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really, I love the way she looks. And, you know, they go on TikTok and before they know it, they're painting on all kinds of contour makeup to try and appear a certain way. Like, Fitting in is a hard nut to crack. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though even the most intelligent people that that I know, you know, we all know, get caught up in trying to fit in. I mean, even I do, and I know the neurobiology behind it. It's so subconscious and it's so rooted in our culture and it's so rooted in our emotional experience and i find it happens more often in business for myself because i desire a life of ease and peace and wealth and influence i do i'm full disclosure i want all of that as well as meaning and purpose and when i see people that have it that are younger than me or that maybe don't have the credentials i do um, I get angry and frustrated. And so you have to recognize that behavior pretty quickly. And then instead of diving down that rabbit hole and buying the Birkin bag, that's when you turn it all off and turn inward and be like, okay, is this comparison worthwhile? Is there something that I'm not doing that they are doing? You know, is it, are they working a little harder? Are they um, leaning into something I should lean into? Can I learn something? from this comparison? Can I get curious about it? Or is this just me comparing myself to somebody who has a very different life and a different set of skills and gifts and luck? Mm -hmm. And how can I root back into my life? So it's fitting in is much more common in our youth because we don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. When we're older and we do know who we are, most of us have trauma around that. <laughs> And we don't want to be who we are because we've been told that who we are is wrong and unlovable and unworthy. So it's like this horrible cycle of trying to figure out where we need to stop this process. And I'll tell you right now, 
for each and every single one of us, it's doing the work immediately right now in this moment. Because the more that we all do this work to finally accept who we are, belong to ourselves, and then step into true belonging with others, the easier we make it for the generations that are coming up. My daughter gets to witness me work through comparison in a way that's healthy. She gets to witness me come back to myself so that when it happens for her, because it will, she has a path to now do that for herself. If she doesn't witness me doing it, if she doesn't actually experience it in real life, she has to figure that all out on her own. So a lot of this is, do, is us role modeling what it looks like to step from fitting in into belonging so that our children don't have to. Well, I think it's amazing that you are um, creating this environment for your daughter, for the next generation. Um, and others should emulate this and, and put it into practice. I know in your podcast, you talk about some of these things. Um, but I'd like to also, you know, we're, we're, I should say I'm guilty of this. I'm not going to speak on behalf of, you know, my coffee culture family, but um, in throughout the years, um, I've been in different communities, right? You had, you know, the people that maybe you grew up with on your street playing kick the can or, you know, whatever. And kick you have kick the can. I was, I, I was always like either in jail, by the way, or it, cause I was the smallest, but you know, Hey, no trauma there. Um, and you know, you go through school, uh, maybe in high school where, you know, everybody in middle school and high school is trying to fit in, find themselves. And we don't know who we are at that point. Um, and then maybe even in college, you might still not have gotten to that point. So what I'm leading up to is in our trails uh, from from our lives of trying to fit in um, versus belong, we might have acquired a few toxic friendships hmm, along just a the few. way. Just a few. Um, and I know that um, we have talked about that um, in our little communities that we have created. And I'm sharing it here because I think that um, I personally have wrestled with um, people that I've pulled along in my life. You know, they're sort of tethered to me and I take them into every new stage of growth I'm going in, I'm evolving and I'm pulling along some of these, you know, toxic people that are inhibiting my growth or making me feel poorly for evolving. So how, how do we move that um, into a place for ourselves to grow? Like how, like you're emulating for your daughter, that's beautiful, but how do some of us, you know, millennial, Gen X, boomer, you know, whoever's listening to this, how do we get rid of this? Sorry, that was like the world's longest question because I kind of had to tell you like the journey, but anyway. I love it, I love it. <laughs> you're giving me lots of context, it's good. I, first you have to recognize that it's toxic. Right. You have to you have to actually have self-awareness around that. If you don't have self-awareness and you're convinced that there's something you're doing or you're just never good enough for this friend or, you know, it, you have to recognize that the relationship itself is toxic. Right. And so that's important. And then once you recognize that, then the next step is to actually get support from people who are not toxic, who can see the real you, who can understand, you know, 
what you are worthy of because you're going to need those reminders along the way quite a bit. If this is someone you've had in your life for decades or longer, or if it's a family member, right? If it's somebody who you are extremely bonded to, the ability to set boundaries with this person is going to be quite challenging. And so you want support, you want awareness, and you want to support your nervous system along the way. This is where those body-based practices that I use and try to teach people is are really important because you're going to set a boundary or say something or or do something that you wouldn't normally do and your body is going to freak out. And this is where you have to know how to help your body through that process rather than it feel like slow torture and, <laughs> or have you go back to the situation. Toxic relationships themselves are quite addictive in our brain. They, they operate on an addictive cycle. So do abusive mm. relationships. It's that hit, right? It's like, if you think about the abusive cycle, you get that um, dopamine hit of they love me, they think I'm great, everything's good. Then you have that tension building phase where things are just uncomfortable and not okay. Maybe there's some comments that are made. You're like, who is this person? Or, they didn't actually change. And then you have the moment where they, they harm you, they do something, they let you down um, in an abusive cycle, they abuse you. Uh, and then for a moment, there's a little bit of a break or a pause, right? And in that break or pause is when our nervous system freaks out. This is where our nervous system says, I've got to fix this. I don't want to be in conflict with this person. I don't like this. It feels really gross and yucky. I've got to make this better. I got to make this better. I got to make this better. So see the addictive nature. So you want that dopamine hit of, okay, we're good. It can be as simple as you over apologizing for their poor behavior, just so you can get the dopamine hit of we're no longer in, conf in conflict anymore. Mm. And so to get out of that cycle, you have to, I typically say you want to get out of it during the tension building phase. You don't necessarily want to get out of it after the the big blowout because um, that's extremely difficult and the likelihood of people going back is really high, especially in abusive relationships. But it is about riding the wave and teaching your nervous system that setting a boundary or being in quote unquote conflict with this person is so much better than being in a relationship with them. And it's hard. It is extremely hard to do. Um, and that's why you need all the resources. Don't do it alone. Please don't do it alone and make sure that you have all the tools in your tool bag to do it because toxic friendships are, are just as hard to leave as toxic, intimate relationships. They're very similar. Your lives might not be as integrated, but you're still very much bonded to this person. Then if you want to up the ante even more so a toxic family member, oh man, that's also extremely challenging. So I don't like to say, I, it's not a lighthearted matter. It's a very difficult thing to do. And I think we beat ourselves up because we don't understand why we can't just let go of this friend. But it's like it's it's inherent to our biological nature that once we're bonded to somebody, we don't leave them. Because, again, we all operated back in the day, back in the day, thousands of years ago in tribes. You couldn't just like set a boundary with Susan next to you because she pissed you off. Susan was the reason that you survived because she stopped that saber tooth tiger from killing you, right? Like you can't, you can't kick Susan out of the tribe. So there's this primal element of needing to be friends with, accommodate, adapt, and get along with people who are really toxic because that was inherent for our survival long, long, long ago but it's no longer that way. And we have to, again, help our nervous system update to the present moment. So it's definitely hindbrained. 
yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the activity. Okay, interesting. Most of what we do is high brain. Let's be <laughs> clear. Like you all think that you are in control of your lives. You are not. <laughs> it's every once in a while we make a decision. Every once in a while, but most of the time, no. It's just our high. We're brain. like crocodiles going through the <laughs> through life, right? That reptile brain. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. just like. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just like what is happening. I mean. We all laugh about it, but I really want you to look at your day and think about how many things you actually do that are much more subconscious. It's like 90% of what we do. Very, very cool. Wow. We touched on a lot of interesting things here. Um, have, is there something that I'm not asking you um, about fitting in and belonging that you mm. want to share? I think the final piece I would love to share is you know, oftentimes when we learn this information, there's a sense of shame that comes over us because we're like, I should know better. Um, I, I know this information or, oh, wow, like Holly and Coco are telling me all of this. Aha. And then it's like shame. Right. So please understand that shame shuts you down. Shame is I'm not a good person. I'm not worthy of love. You know, I should know better. Um, and don't shame yourself for shaming yourself, right? We just, we just keep going down that cycle. Take this information, breathe, and recognize that it's just a learning process that we're all trying to move through. We exist at a very interesting time for humanity in which we are all trying to adapt to the present reality. And the odds are, are stacked against you. It's, we're all doing this together. So don't let shame in the door. And just take the information in, take it one step at a time and start to just have that self-awareness that's going to help you look at this from a different perspective so that maybe you can start moving towards people that make you feel like you belong rather than make you feel like you fit in. Wow. Coco, um, I know that you have a lot of tools in your box and all of those things will definitely be in the show notes. But is there a particular workshop that maybe dials into some of what we just talked about that um, you would like to share with everybody? And I could also put that in the show notes, but one that you think is more indicative of this conversation we've had. Oh, absolutely. So you're going to hear me talk about this a lot on any of my platforms. So you won't be surprised that I say this, but I have a uh, self-led course called Becoming a Boundary Badass. And it is an amazing course. It's um, six videos. So it's, it's robust in the sense that those six videos, each of them are a tool, right? And it's a specific tool re related to how to hold, maintain, and set boundaries. But on top of that, there's this beautiful workbook that I spent a lot of time and energy putting together during the pandemic. <laughs> and it's like 35 pages long, but it walks you through truly what the difference is between belonging and fitting in and how to go about and understand boundary work and, and to get to the other side of this. So it is one of my favorite courses that I made. I typically do master classes on it as well. I usually do group programs around it, but I would start there. And if you love what you see, come into my world and I'm sure there'll be many things that you can join. Um, and you will hear about boundaries quite a bit, which is in essence, I think where we start with the difference between fitting in and belonging. Oh my God. Thank you. That's just amazing. 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 Um, I'm happy to share that with everybody. And I just want to put out there, um, in the universe 
because I know what you're aspiring to do, Coco, and I've been working with you. Um, uh, stamp of approval, everybody, if, if, if you need to know somebody who is working with Coco. But I want to call it here that um, one day you are going to be on Oprah's stage because Ooh. I think you are a very powerful human being and you do the work on yourself as well as with others. And I think that's part of why you became the evolved therapist. Um, so I want to thank you for coming mm. on my show. Oh, thank you. Can we invite Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert and Glennon Doyle on that stage with Oprah as well? I would be happy <laughs> to do that. And actually, um, I think you should be doing some of the Instagram lives with them. Very often I oh. see them talking uh, with people. I, I love all of them. I, I would, for different reasons. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, for example, um, she, she wrote the book, um, uh, Big Magic. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's probably my, my most favorite book by her. And I've read all of her novels, by the way. Um, but being an artist and a creative, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, that probably people have heard in some of my past stuff. Yeah. I was a jewelry designer for, you know, 10, 15 years. So, um, understanding how creativity comes to you mm. and, um, how powerful it is and, um, how powerful it is if you ignore it because mm -hmm. it goes to somebody else that's yes. like magic. So, um, I, I love her for that reason. I'm not sure what uh, about Elizabeth Gilbert resonates with you. I, feel free to share. Mm. Uh, she came, I read Eat, Pray, Love in a time in my life where I needed that book more than anything in the world. And I love how incredibly honest and raw she is with herself and with the world about her struggles with self-expression and belonging and how she has done the work like truly someone who does and continues to do the work. Um, she's a trailblazer and a role model in that sense. And I just absolutely love her as a human. Um, if I did an Instagram live with any of those women, I would literally, my, I, my life would be complete. Mm. I could die the next day. Like I, they're incredible, incredible leaders in our, and there's, there's more than just them, but I just, I love what they've done. Um, in the self-help world, but more so than anything else, just the inspirational space. They have they have led the path for many, many, many women to reclaim parts of themselves that they have lost. So I it's such an honor to even just speak about them, to be honest. So maybe Well, it's one interesting because because you had named your podcast uh Let the Rest Burn after mm -hmm. a quote from Glennon Doyle. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Um from her book Untamed. And, and what is the meaning behind that? Um, well, I can't quote the quote by heart. You think I could, but it's a No, that's okay. One. But you could paraphrase but why I'll you paraphrase came it. to, yeah, yes. let the rest burn. So it's about um, really becoming your full self and uh, kind of detoxing yourself from all the world's expectations and stepping into your true, uninhibited, fully expressed self and letting the rest burn. And it was my story about doing that and what I had to burn to get to that space, which um, really was my divorce. But more so than anything else, it was it was reclaiming this girl who was loud and proud and very spirited and at times too much. And I had to kind of reclaim her in this process and burn all of the 
um, BS that I was told or experienced in my life and, and really knowing that I wanted to help other women and men do the same for themselves as well. So yes, it's all of the above. I love, I love that book. It's, it has definitely helped a lot of people get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Ouch. Um, so everybody, um, I'm going to encourage you to to give a listen to uh, Colleen's work or Coco as she she both her name. yeah both. Colleen um, Colleen's my given name and Coco yes. is my stage name. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same. My best friends call me Coco too. Yeah. So she gets very raw and very vulnerable and shares a lot of her stories around her divorce and and so. Um, you'll be able to learn with her. And uh, I think that's what makes you so accessible and so genuine. And I thank you so much for coming Mm. on Coffee Culture. Thank you for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. Would you like to join the party, coffee lovers? I have two ways for you. Please go over to YouTube now and subscribe to at Holly Shannon, and there'll be all the videos of this podcast there as well. What's the second way you can do that? You can leave a review with your ideas in Apple Podcasts. Either way, I would love it if you share a hot cup of connection and coffee culture with a friend. And if you'd like to support this indie podcaster, you can buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, coffee lovers.